0: Did you know that Taylor Swift flies out groups of her fans? to her homes to have an exclusive first listen of her new albums before they're released, and that her meet and greets at concerts are free. Well, Taylor Swift is the gold standard for fan engagement within the music industry. It's 1000% the reason that she has outperformed and outlasted so many incredible music artists in the industry since her first album was released in 2006. Every year from 2018 to now, she's still breaking huge records for touring and streaming, chart-topping, winning awards, and she's continuing to convert new fans every year let's put this into perspective red taylor's version came out in november it was a re-record of an album that her fans have already heard except for like what seven to ten new songs from the vault and she got her 10 minute song to number one which is now the longest song that's ever reached number one which first of all is incredible in the first place and that album overall broke streaming records against her previous new albums that also broke the internet and were so well received, and broke records against other female artists' biggest streaming releases of the decade. I think what makes her different from other artists is her relationship with her fans. It's very different because of her fan engagement strategy. So if you want to know how to get more dedicated lifelong fans like Taylor Swift, keep listening because I'm going to be breaking down specific ways her fan relationships are a huge part of her longevity and success. It's not a mystery, it actually seems like a staple in her business strategy. So we're going to go over how she creates community, and special moments for her fans. And then I'm going to be going over in detail how artists can attract the fan base that they want, because I've mentioned, and I think every single one of my podcast episodes until now, the importance of setting boundaries and really attracting the fan base that you want and minimizing the amount of inappropriate fan behavior. So I'm going to go in in detail about that with her and using a lot of examples from other artists. Hi, my name is Leah and this is The Secret to Lifelong Fans, a podcast where I talk about how creating strong community and special moments for your fans will give music artists a bit of job security because you'll have fans supporting you for decades to come. I'm a revenue strategy expert in the corporate world and I've been teaching myself music marketing while recovering from a brain injury last year because I would love to use my skills to help the artists I believe in share their music with the world. I do have a new announcement today. This podcast will now be bi-monthly with episodes every other Tuesday. So expect an episode two weeks from now, because that is what I need right now to prioritize my responsibilities. I will be posting a lot about music marketing tips on Instagram and TikTok, and you can ask me questions about specific topics there. I have a link in the description under Koji, and it will take you to all my social medias. I'm also going to be focusing on projects that will help me build up my portfolio and get some hands-on marketing experience, which is really exciting. Before getting into Taylor, I have some podcast updates, like explaining the name of my podcast, which I'm so embarrassed I haven't done yet, and also talking more about my vision and what I hope to accomplish with this podcast. So if you are not interested in that, I have timestamps in the description. Just skip ahead until I start talking about Taylor Nation. I am still getting used to this podcasting thing. If you know me, you know that I am the least eloquent person to exist, and a podcast is probably the worst thing I could ever do. But because of my brain injury, it's really the only way that I can share more in-depth ideas with people. But I actually really enjoy it because it's helping me work on skills that I'm bad at, like speaking and technical writing i'm trying to get better at that and copywriting also halfway through editing the last episode i learned how to actually cut out sections in the way that you're supposed to and that doesn't require a million clicks and mouse movements so i think i'm heading in the right direction and like i said i realized a couple days ago that i never explained the name of my podcast and i want to do that because i feel like the secret to lifelong fans first of all I'm really bad at naming things, second of all. I think anytime someone is like, the secret finger is promising you this really intense thing that is just not realistic, it's usually too good to be true. So it's kind of like a play on that because in marketing there's nothing that's like simple or concrete if anyone asks me a question of like oh should i do this or this like the answer to literally everything is it depends and it's the same way in my corporate job too like everything is it depends you really have to define your brand and your audience and look at your goals and your obstacles and then once you have a good idea of what those things are then you can kind of like build off of that so there's no one size fits all if anyone is trying to sell you a one size fits all type of vibe it's probably probably not going to be the thing that will make you stand out and get attention for your music. Or maybe I just suck at naming things and I feel the need to have an in-depth explanation about why I chose such a bad name for my podcast uh, so I can convince myself it's not actually shitty. But for real, like I said, data is complex, so... You want someone to take the time and effort of digging into that complexity to find out what will work for you and make a plan for you if you're going to work with someone to create strategy or work on a marketing plan for you, because what works for someone else may not work for you, vice versa, because you're a different person with different music and different needs and different abilities, all that jazz. Back to the name of my podcast, it's not a secret that if you want fans, you should be nice to them. So a huge focus on my podcast is fan engagement and audience development I think this is a part of the music industry that has not been prioritized as much as it should have and my best guess for why this has been is because most of the time what's good for an artist is good for the label but there are some times where there's like a gray area where that's not the case and I think fan engagement is part of that small gray area so that's why Taylor Swift putting such a huge emphasis on fan engagement has really been revolutionary and it is getting more recognition for its importance in the last few years because there's a a lot more competition for listeners' attention, but progress is still slow, and I really want to highlight the artists who are doing a really good job of that within my podcast. Fan engagement and audience development isn't just an artist showing value to fans, it's a great way for artists to get feedback and learn more about your audience. Getting that type of target market information is super, super valuable so that when you're making plans, you can keep them in mind. Also, I pride myself in being able to reframe the relationship relationship that some of my musician friends have with marketing and selling themselves. I personally used to think that any marketing is inauthentic and I hated the idea of that. Like when I was thinking about a major for college or something, I was like, oh, I absolutely can't do that because I can't sell things. But I'm really thankful that over the years I've learned that marketing is a really creative process and you can use the principles of marketing to highlight the strengths and individuality of your music project to signal the right audience who will resonate with what you're doing just like creating music is creative and then creating visuals like music videos out of that to honor the emotion and themes of that music is creative process that's the same thing you're doing with marketing you're just translating your emotions and your message into new mediums that will help you grow and I think having an artist first and vision first marketing like that is really important instead of finding a group of people and just turning yourself into whatever you think these people want because then when you try to do that and you're authentic it doesn't really work so I'm all about bringing artists visions to life and really fun and creative ways. I think that strong fan engagement strategies are some of the most effective ways to do that and for an artist to take control of their image and their storytelling and their relationship with their fans. Today, in this episode, I'm going to be talking a lot about Taylor's relationship with her fans and how she keeps that, I guess, like retention really strong. Because if we look at the marketing funnel, the visibility to superfan pipeline, I believe this is the key to keeping an engaged audience without using deceptive marketing practices or encouraging unhealthy artist-fan relationships. That's something that I've been interested in for years before marketing was even a blip on my radar, is the relationships between artists and fans. I grew up in the MySpace days when it was normal for young fans of Never Shout Never, aka Mr. Chris Drew, to kiss him on the cheek or ask him to kiss them on the cheek. Kind of crazy to think about how that stuff is not healthy, but it was normalized and encouraged by people who are trying to make money off of these fans and artists. So I'm very much an advocate for healthy fan artist relationships. Another thing that really drives what I'm doing, or I don't know, I guess it's like... (laughs) less of an influence but i feel like it's really important to mention anyway because of how big this article was but if you remember the i think it was called the 1000 true fans article by kevin someone i'll put a link to it in the description um this was a really famous it got so much attention this one guy i can't remember if he works in music he has this website where he just has these really philosophical and conceptual kind of articles where he's just presenting ideas and information and there's a lot on there. I've read a couple. Basically what this article said was that you don't need to have a million fans to make a living off of your music so this guy said if you have a thousand true fans that are spending one hundred dollars on you per year that's a hundred thousand dollars and you can live off that right and i think a lot of people got really hung up on the numbers and the math but i think the most value that we can take from this article also this was written in 2008 so this was like the very beginning of the myspace days when i feel like only in the last like two to three years since tiktok has blown up is when artists are like completely about having to be influencers and i understand the frustration about not like wanting your music to speak for itself and not wanting to have to like put on this show and do stuff that is totally like not in your wheelhouse but i don't think that's a new concept like artists have been using social media to gain leverage and start building a platform independently since myspace so that's been over 15 years. And this guy recognized that there's the potential for new types of business models for artists because of technology like social media and now online distribution and other stuff that you can find on the internet for artists. There's just so many tools that are more accessible nowadays than in the past. So even though all this stuff is still going to be at cost and is expensive, it's technically available and more accessible than getting signed with the label in the past. if you're an artist that wants to maintain control of your image and your business, you have a lot more options nowadays. So like I said, the most value that we can take from this guide's article is that you don't need to be selling out of stadiums or bending over backwards to record labels. You can take advantage of fan engagement and use the marketing funnel to convert your visibility and listeners into fans and super fans that are monetarily supporting you and allowing you to make a living off of your music. But I think developing really strong fan engagement is the absolute best way to work towards that goal and to give yourself financial freedom, through your music. That is my whole spiel before we get into Taylor. If you want to learn how to apply your favorite artist's formula for audience development and keep learning music marketing tips, you can follow and set notifications for this podcast uh, for new case studies every other Tuesday morning at 5 a.m. Eastern on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So let's talk about Taylor. I do have One disclaimer, but I promise it's interesting. Taylor is very different from other artists because she has a different dynamic because of her parents' involvement. Obviously within the industry, a lot of artists have really strong connections that are able to fund their music, but Taylor's still even different from all of those other artists with connections. Her dad is part owner has some type of stake in the record label that she was on and he was able to advocate for Taylor when it came to label budgeting and deciding how their resources were going to be split up between the artists so could you imagine when art it, when labels are making that type of decision always having someone that you know is going to root for you no matter what that's a huge advantage. I don't know the exact extent of how much power he had in that, but having someone that's totally on your side within a label because a label is, you know, they want their artists to do well, but they have a whole catalog that they're working on, not just you. So to have someone say, "No, I need this one artist to be pushed," that's really valuable. Second, her mother was a high-level marketing executive, and for many years now has run Taylor Nation which has been the most powerful source of leverage for Taylor in her career. If you don't know what Taylor Nation is, it's basically her official fan club and they run all of her fan engagement and a lot of marketing for her. It's part of her management company, 13 Management they are on social media especially back in the day in the heyday of tumblr they were huge on there they control their own social media accounts separate from taylor's public accounts if you think like street team or 90s style official fan clubs that's pretty much the vibe and the purpose that taylor nation serves they're on various platforms and they showcase fans and encourage fan engagement, monitor fan interactions, and get feedback from fans that they can use for projects later. They are the backbone of her relationship with her fans by providing an authentic connection between fans. And then on the business side of things, they're getting prime market research from these fans. Taylor actually had an interview explaining why listening to fans is important because sometimes they have good ideas and you can (laughs) just take their ideas if you're looking for good ideas. And making an effort to listen to your fans doesn't mean doing every single thing they want and changing your creative focus to fit their hopes and dreams and expectations that they're projecting on you. It just means taking their feedback into consideration and implementing the aspects that you like and that are actually realistic and that are actually realistic because we know that fans sometimes have the craziest unrealistic expectations. They're also responsible for meet and greets and secret sessions where Taylor invites her own fans to her home for pre-release listening parties and I will go into detail about these when I talk about how she creates special moments for her fans. One of the most effective ways that she builds community and gets fans funneled through that marketing funnel to become dedicated lifelong fans is that she's really good at giving fans FOMO, and this is kind of how I explain it I talked about this in the last couple episodes when you're interacting on social media and interacting with your audience or any potential fans show them how much fun it is to be your fan by appreciating the fans that you already have um, recognizing people and doing fun things for your fans showing value to them because when other people see that they're going they're literally going to get FOMO and Be interested and want to enjoy it. I think it's something that's a little bit subconscious. Like, it's not like people are like, oh, wow, they bring so much value to their fan base. I want to be a part of their fan base. But it really piques people's interest and curiosity and will make it more likely for them to want to take the time and make the effort to look into what you're doing. And when you think to yourself, okay, let's let's give the fans FOMO, that's just a quick reminder when you're making content or thinking about what to post on social media, show your potential audience what you have to offer, whether that's fun Patreon content that you can tease or live streaming cool stuff that you do so that people can recognize you, get to know you and learn more about you and see how much fun it will be to go visit you on tour and see you in person. When you can showcase this on social media, people will be so attracted and want to join the party and be your fan. Being a Swifty is literally so fun. They're always getting these fun little games. For example, when Taylor was announcing the names of the vault tracks, she literally put out puzzles. And riddles and clues that her fans had to solve to figure out the answer to. So she didn't have just like a simple announcement or social media post where she said, here's what we're doing. She made it super, super interactive and it got so much buzz over TikTok, I remember for two days, there were TikToks all over my FYP, just of people trying to like solve these little puzzles and some posts talking about how they're so grateful for the crazy Swifties because they're a lazy Swifty and they don't want to do all the work. There's so much fun that fans can have if you put in a little more effort to make something special. Swifties also get tons of Easter eggs. So she's really training some detectives, you know? (laughs) The next thing she does is have really strong storytelling skills. Storytelling is broken up into two parts, right? You want to tell the story of who you are, your brand, but then as you grow and evolve, you want to keep telling that story. You need to keep adding to that story. And I think when fans get really upset about like, why are you changing so much of your stuff? We like this other stuff you're doing. We're so confused. What are you doing? Or when fans are like, why are you making the same album three times? Like you haven't changed anything. What's going on? I think having really strong storytelling is the key to reducing that type of reaction from fans, which I know that that's a huge, huge concern from artists. And it's super overwhelming because you don't know how your new work is going to be received. And storytelling can be hard. The key to it is Making sure that you know what the fans know. Figure out what the fans know and then figure out where is the knowledge gap between what they know and what I need them to know for me. To release this album and for them to not be confused and then give them that information sometimes stuff that you have going on in the public fans understand that like people know that because it's happening in public but if you're doing something that's behind closed doors and it's just some type of inspiration for your music or something like that fans may not know that so you have to say okay fans don't know about this we need to clue them in and find a way to communicate with them so that when I release this they'll be on board and they won't be confused and Taylor Swift is a pro with it she's pivoted so many times like she went from doing her country thing to slowly moving into pop then fully being into pop in 1989 then she moves into reputation where her themes are darker and everything is revenge and people knew that she had been through like the darkest part of her life because What had gone down with Kanye and Kim was very public. During that era, she didn't do any type of interviews, she didn't do anything, she just released the album. And she didn't need to do any other storytelling because people were so aware of what was happening. And then she referenced snakes in her music video after a year and a half ago, Kim and a lot of the internet were calling her snake and using snake emojis in her mentions Taylor Swift is so good at storytelling that I am going to be doing another full episode just on her storytelling and how she is so good at that in between all of the eras that she's gone through. But it's a big part of fan engagement too. For example, there's a Twitter account that leaks information for her. I couldn't find it when I was looking at this but i've heard about this multiple times so i'm going to give you all the information i have maybe i'm wrong and maybe it's like a group of leaked accounts that fans think that she leaks to listen to this so there's leaks with all this very weirdly specific random information and a lot of swifties think that it's run by someone on her team or tailored because of how specific it is and it's always always right since the information is kind of random personally i think it makes more sense that someone from her camp is leaking that because taylor is known to have All of her stuff so private and so locked down that i would be really surprised if there were like actual leaks my theory which i could totally be wrong but i think she's doing this to tell her story and prepare fans for what's next to prevent them from being confused and i think she uses this as a tool for storytelling because when something gets leaked then her fans are going to know about it. It's going to create buzz within her fans and it creates an expectation for fans. So they're less likely to be overwhelmed or sad or confused if their expectations are wrong. So you're bringing your fans' expectations into reality and it's going to make them receive your new music so much better. And this is just, again, one way you can do that, but that's why storytelling is so, so important because it prepares your fans for what you're doing next. So if you're changing and evolving, that's usually not an issue. Like a lot of times you can keep a good amount of your fans who care about you because they're following along with your story, but you can also tell your story and then attract new fans who maybe they didn't like your old stuff, but maybe they resonate with this like new change and evolution you're going with that will work if you tell your story correctly so huge huge key okay for the really really fun part let's talk about how taylor swift creates special moments i've talked about how creating special moments is the key to having dedicated lifelong fans because once you create a really special moment for someone they're going to think about you in A good positive light they're gonna think about that special moment they're going to be fond of you so the more of these that you can get the more likely it is that you're going to have a super fan and also doing this shows to other people who are not a fan or who may just be a casual listener they know that there's a chance that they can get something really special and that's pretty enticing when taylor's doing all of these really special things like free meet and greets, and secret sessions, potential fans know that, hey, if I'm a fan of Taylor Swift, I have the potential to do that if I get really involved in this fan base. Again, a subconscious thing. It's creating that FOMO for the fans, right? Fans will want to join to have a chance at getting those special moments. So let's talk about Taylor's meet and greets. Five years ago, pre-pandemic, a standard meet and greet package for an artist would probably be about one to $2,000.00 for a 30 second to a minute meet, say hi, introduce yourself, a picture, you get a gift bag with small items, and the worst marketed perk ever, some extra time before the show to walk around and buy more merch not the merch itself just to walk around and have time to spend more merch without it being crowded when they start to let people in and obviously i see how that's a perk but i think it's just funny after you're paying so much money they're like oh we invite you to spend more money (laughs) anyway there's usually some boring waiting around um maybe you're in a really like ugly room or just generally not like the greatest experience except for that like one to two minutes where you're like meeting this person um but But Taylor's meet and greets are super, super different. She has these extravagant rooms created for her fans. There's usually some type of sponsor for it, too. So it looks like she's not even paying for it, which is dope. And there's lots of couches and tables and food for guests. So people are hanging out there for about an hour to two hours is um, what I've heard from doing research and hearing from fans who have talked about their meet and greet experience. And these rooms are always created to be very on brand to whatever era she's doing she's been doing this at least since speak now maybe a little bit before that but during 1989 the theme was like aloft and that was the time period where she had moved to new york and she was making living in new york her entire personality for reputation it was rep room and it was a little more not grungy but it was dark and really fun so from everything i've heard about her meet and greets for the actual line when people are waiting to meet with her it's inside the room so again everyone still has like their snacks their hanging out whatever but she does have uh, small conversations and meets everyone and gets to know them while she's doing the actual meet and greet but then for the rest of the time she hangs out in the room with everyone and again like makes it a point to approach everyone in that room again outside of that original meet and greet before the party ends. She just continues conversations with everyone and takes more pictures with them and it seems like a really fun chill experience and if you're wondering Leah if these are free how do you get it Ticket. How does she decide who does that? The answer is of course, Taylor Nation. Usually Mama Swift, Taylor's mom or another Taylor Nation person will be walking around the stadium handing out invitations to the show to fans who are like the most dedicated and going totally all out dressing up screaming dancing being loud like really showing how much they care so this just encourages all the fans to be crazy i say that taylor swift makes her fans crazy and low-key she does those are the expectations that she's setting i think most of the time it's not in a bad way like she's super successful this has been going on for a really long time in 2010 she did a 13 hour meet and greet in Nashville Taylor decided to host an event for her fans to celebrate the CMAs. So she rented out this huge stadium and told her team that she wanted to do a signing and meet and greet for 13 hours. If you're asking why 13 hours, not only is that a long time, it's just weird. It's because 13 is her favorite number. That's the reason she gave for it. And she said that she basically turned around for a few seconds to eat and get a little bit of water during that time. But that seems like the craziest marathon to just be standing there and constantly talking to fans they let a bunch of fans into the stadium in the morning but more kept coming so they had to issue wristbands to decide who would be able to meet her within that 13 hours and what taylor said in this small documentary about it which i have linked in the description is that she loves loud and boisterous people who make their presence known so that's why she wanted the people giving out wristbands to approach people like that and it seems like that's kind of the logic they've continued to use to choose who gets picked for her meet and greets and in this video it shows clips of these girls and friend groups walking around singing marching creating raps and chants like trying to do any type of crazy thing to meet taylor and impress these people with the wristbands so this is again an example of rewarding fans who are showing enthusiasm and setting healthy boundaries when the power is in your hands you can choose whether you're using this for healthy or unhealthy reasons personally i believe we can do all of this with healthy boundaries there's no reason for deceptive marketing or like unhealthy expectations and boundaries to be set. And if you've seen my YouTube videos or know anything about me, you would know I'm super intrigued by healthy boundaries between fans and celebrities. And I think it's really cool that Taylor uses Taylor Nation to have control over those boundaries and reward appropriate fan behavior. If you think about it, we learn how to interact with our faves, usually through the media, who is constantly invading people's privacy to make money or from management and agencies who will reinforce unhealthy parasocial attachments to artists because it's going to make them more money and they don't have to deal with the negative effects of that. I will probably make a whole episode just about that, but yeah, it's very cool that Taylor is taking back the power of those relationships. And this is something that any artist can do that's why at the end of this episode i'm going to be going through some healthy and unhealthy examples of how these boundaries are set but first let's talk about secret sessions so since 1989 was released in fall of 2014 taylor has been inviting hundreds of fans into her homes for listening parties about a month before the release and for 1989 she invited 89 fans for each one that she did i think she does about three for each one lots of questions about this because this is the most insane thing i've ever 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 heard of here's what i found out she monitors fans for 12 to 18 months pays for them to fly to her home for a party possibly spending the night to stay somewhere and then flies them back home again and she's done this in her new york la Rhode Island and London homes. She spends the day of her secret sessions baking cookies and other baked goods for her guests. And yes, apparently she really made these. And in the clips that I have in the description, you can see her actually doing baking apparently she loves cooking fancy foods and can name all of these really crazy ingredients and dishes that i've never even heard of she's rewarding appropriate behavior and building close relationships with her fans my favorite example of special moments and for real makes me kind of cry This story is from her lover secret sessions in 2019 when she meets one of her fans. In her introduction to this fan at secret session, she introduces herself, asks like, hey, how are you doing? And when saying that she misgendered her fan who had come out as trans about two days earlier on Tumblr or immediately after like misgendering her fan without anyone saying anything else. She corrects herself and is like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that and like moves on. And the post that I saw talking about this was from the fan who was just like so stoked about it i was like how did taylor know that she was even misgendering me (laughs) could you imagine meeting taylor swift and she already knows that you came out two days ago so she corrects herself for misgendering you because she's known who you were for like a year while she was stalking you to decide if she wanted you to come to her house so yeah that's a testament to how close taylor really is to her fans and that she does care obviously bringing in strangers to your home is risky and she wants to know who she's bringing in if you remember when i said Taylor Nation is great at market research. I mean that when you're a business, you have to know who the audience and consumer is, what they want, what they're motivated by, and... Most importantly, what they react to. When music artists know their fans, even though you know these secret sessions are costing a lot of money to put on these events, it's an incredible way to get information about your target market from the source. And don't get it twisted. I'm not saying she has ulterior motives or that this isn't authentic. She clearly loves her fans and no one would go this far just to manipulate fans in like a bad way. If you really didn't care, you don't have to invite your fans into your home. You know, There's a million other low cost effort ways that she could try to get information from them or even just keep it on social media. In fact, I think this is probably the most authentic way that you can do market research is just by listening to them and investing in your fans. She's giving them the experience of a lifetime and getting back a lifelong fan, their word of mouth recommendations, which is super effective, and it becomes a feedback loop that is mutually beneficial for everyone. I call these situations a win-win-win where the artist is happy, fans are happy, and the artist's bank account is happy because sometimes it can be kind of difficult to do those three, but it's It's never impossible, there's always solutions to create a win-win-win, I fully believe that. It really goes back to what I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, understand your fans more deeply, what are their values, their wants, their needs, their concerns. We talk about celebrities being really out of touch. but. Taylor has used audience development to keep her finger on the pulse and be very in touch with her fans, despite being one of the most highest paid musicians ever. And I'm sure that as a person, she's probably not that relatable, but the fact that she pays so much attention to her fans, it has this effect where it keeps her in this more grounded state where she knows what's going on in the real world because she's able to see what's going on with her fans versus other celebrities who aren't looking into this so they don't know what's going on their fans and they can just stay in their celebrity, millionaire bubble. Now what is the takeaway from this for other artists? When you have really specific information about your fans and your audience you understand how to tell the story in a way that makes sense to them with whatever you're doing in the future what's great about music and art is that you can do your own thing creatively but then marketing is where you come in and say okay how do we take whatever you've done creatively and tell that story behind it so the story has to keep the audience in mind for it to be successful but you can have creative freedom i really think that as long as there's like the base quality of work that you're producing, I think you can take like anything and market it well and find the people who will resonate with it. I think that's a really important part of artist first and talent first marketing and business support where you're focusing on helping the artists create their vision instead of looking at numbers and audiences and saying, okay, how do we adjust what we are doing and make this artist fit this mold because we think it's what what people will like. I don't think it's gonna be in an artist's best interest, even financially. So whatever creative vision that you have, just tell the story successfully. Even when I work with my hotel clients, the ones who can tell me more detailed information about the guests that are staying there, like what company they're working for, or if they're business guests, like what, what events in town are happening that they're coming in for, anything more than the bare minimum of, there's eight different buckets or categories of guests that we get in, like the data. So asking the questions to get the qualitative information instead of just the quantitative information with the numbers is really the key for me to be able to build individual strategy to help my hotels. The hotels that cannot tell me information about their guests, I just kind of have to rely on those eight categories of vague profiles. And whatever strategy I build for them is never going to be as good as the ones that can give me individual information. And it's the exact same for marketing. And if a Hotel can't tell me that, then the small hotels that I work with, they can lose $50,000 a month, they can lose a million dollars a year, two or three million dollars a year. So I've seen over and over and over again, if you do not understand who your audience is, things will not resonate and probably won't go very well for you get to know your audience understand who they are if you have a very small audience and you have like you really don't know who will resonate with you you should listen to my second episode podcast because i literally take the music from the home team and i create a brand based off of it and then i use the brand to build the audience. So even though I don't know what their audience actually is, I was able to create one. So you can create one for yourself that would be like your potential audience of people who will identify with your brand, who will identify with your music and market yourself to attract people like that. We wanna take a more individualized and personal approach to that specific audience. So another thing that Taylor does to create special moments for her fans, which kind of blows me away. I feel a little nervous talking about this because, It's like sensitive personal information. The stuff that I'm talking about, I found online posted by the fans that this happened to. So it is public information. I've seen TikTok videos and Tumblr posts of fans talking about their experiences of Taylor reaching out to fans who are going through a difficult time, sending them a four to five figure gift of money to help them. And one girl said that she got a paragraph from Taylor with really kind words, they were empathetic and showed specific knowledge about her situation, the issues that she was having in her family life and even said like a little note I hope this money will help you buy books for this semester of college but the money was definitely more than paying for uh, just the books it it will go like a good amount of ways for tuition and rent for the semester as well so that's kind of wild to know that your favorite artist who is literally a multi-millionaire one of the highest net worth and highest paid musicians of all time cares enough to pay attention to what's going on in your life and help you out when you're in a difficult time to say thank you for all of your support over the years. So now that you've seen the extreme links that Taylor Swift goes to to support her fans, care about them, and provide value to them, let's talk about something I've mentioned a lot, uh, creating healthy boundaries and expectations within your fan base. This is something that's really, really hard because just like normal people every day walking around, creating healthy boundaries is difficult. It's something that most people are not born with knowing and life happens bad stuff happens in life and it affects our abilities to enforce healthy boundaries and expectations with the people in our life so when you're doing that on a huge scale with a bunch of fans it's even harder plus when people another thing that I haven't talked about that I'm super fascinated in is when people start getting a lot of attention and these yes men start coming into people's lives and how that can mess up someone's psychology in their brain like when people are like oh I'm never gonna forget where I came from or I'm always gonna be so humble or whatever but once you're in a position where people just start being yes men to you all the time things shift for you and i imagine that it's really hard to be in a position like that where you just have people gassing you up all the time telling you you're the hottest thing in the world and willing to do anything for you because they want something from you and they think that being around you will benefit them my point is when you're a music artist with fans there's just so many different obstacles that can make creating these healthy boundaries and expectations difficult or complex so I don't want what I'm saying to make it sound like it's this really easy thing and it's so simple because it's not But I think taking some time to study examples and make notice of some examples of what people do to set boundaries and then how fans react to that and what types of fans that attracts. Side note, I feel like I'm having trouble with grammar today in particular. I have not been shy about the fact that since my brain injury, my spoken grammar is difficult and that's been an obstacle for me doing this podcast. So please be kind and bear with me when my grammar is not perfect. And this falls under the psychology of marketing, where it's under the surface, subconscious kind of stuff. And that's can sometimes be hard to talk about because some people have this mindset of, well, if I can't see it, it doesn't exist. But there's so much information that you can find on the internet about marketing psychology. We live in a for-profit society. So there have been a ton of resources put into learning about marketing psychology so that corporations can use it to get us to buy stuff. So you can find that information to help you in your pursuit and and hopefully use it for good and not evil. As this pertains to building a fan base that you want and has very healthy boundaries, my main message here is that anyone with a public persona and fans is more likely to be a target for things like stalking or having people invade your personal space and boundaries unintentionally and intentionally. So an artist is not responsible for the stuff that those types of people will do, but I think it's important to understand how an artist's influence over their fan base affects the fans' actions and attitudes, I believe there are things that artists can do to minimize some of those unwanted behaviors. Remember bands like The Main have an awesome supportive fan base and culture and The Home Team, which again, I talked about in episode two. It can be difficult to cultivate a healthy fan base because of all the decades of fandom culture that the biggest business people in music spent creating an unhealthy dynamic to sell more stuff to young fans. So by enforcing healthy stuff, we are undoing some of that programming that we've been taught since growing up with all of those invasive teeny bopper magazines and paparazzi culture and the Brian Starrs interviews. LOL, I personally spent a period of time, about four years unlearning this stuff and I was just in a bad mental space. The effects that that kind of stuff can have on fans and artists is very real. So I don't think it hurts anyone to be educated on ways that we can improve the relationship with fans. First of all, so many cultures and communities have some type of saying or proverb that like attracts like Or you attract what you put out and the energy that you give is the energy that you receive I don't really know why this is a thing But the fact that everyone has some type of saying for this and the fact that i've seen this to be extremely True in my personal life. I fully believe that this is the case And like I said, I want to help artists be a little more in control of this and see what types of effects Certain actions have so that you can be in control of what you're attracting because of the power dynamic that exists between fans and artists in the parasocial dynamic, artists do have more control than the fans. We see this when a celeb has beef. Sometimes you might see someone, this is especially with the internet influencers, they may say stuff that will incite their fans to basically go attack someone on their behalf, which although no fans should be doing that, we still know it is at least on part the fault of the person sending them that. It's irresponsible because the celebs behavior sets the tone and people who look up to that person will think that what they're saying is okay. And when you're someone that your fans look up to a lot of them will probably put you on a pedestal because of this fandom craze uh, that I've talked about and the way that society has expected people to be fans and we've seen this happen enough times on social media that we should know what type of impact uh, slamming someone online will be so that's like an expected outcome that people should take into consideration before saying something like really inflammatory that's a really natural cause and effect that I think most people are aware of and this is one way artists set the tone do they antagonize others and use their Fans to bully other people, or will they speak up for what they believe in and use their fans to promote positive change? Then there's Astro World. Travis Scott had previously been charged with inciting violence at Lollapalooza. I think it was Lollapalooza. So we could theorize that his shows are dangerous because his words and attitudes attract people who might be reckless. And even if they're not, there's a lot of research done on the psychology of large crowds and how people's like awareness of self-accountability kind of goes through, goes out the window and that's that's partially responsible for mob mentality people become more influenceable too when they're in large crowds and like go with the flow and like release some of what they know is right and wrong basically people are more likely to act up in large crowds so when you have someone egging you on to act up people are going to act up right versus if we have there's so many artists that i've seen every time i die less than jake i'm trying to think of we've seen videos of SZA. there's literally every freaking artist that you can think of saying things at their show to promote safety right and then fans are going to listen to you fans care about what you say well maybe people who think it's okay to bully others for their fears for their physical appearance or people who think it's okay for adult men in their 30s or 40s i don't know exactly how old he is um some of these examples are extreme right but clearly my last example this is a long one it's about storytelling using lore and world building i call it the sci-fi effect and i think it's the biggest key to fan bases who have that reputation for being crazy like those fan bases that we all know that people are just like oh they're crazy they're obsessed they're the ones the artists do this it's very effective the fans will love it they want to support you they will buy all your stuff and it's super super effective i would love to see examples of them not being crazy and see how artists uphold that in a way that is more healthy but okay okay when artists who build lore they're creating stories into their music or or something outside of their music for fans to follow along with, and get really engaged with this is really effective for getting fans involved in creating community and creating buzz and when fans have all this stuff to talk about and be like oh my gosh these things connect like fans also kind of become detectives in this sense and this is a way to get people to care about you and talk about you without having them talk about your personal life unless you're using the world build to be about your life with which taylor swift kind of dives into and i think that's why people are so obsessed with her dating history and her love life because that's what the media has built her world around and then she also writes pretty autobiographical music but there's like less personal fan engagement effort on the artist end. you do this in like the album planning or whatever you're doing you create the stuff and then you put it out but you're not personally like getting involved with the fans as much like you're just kind of putting the stuff out there and then letting the fans do the rest it's a little bit of a hands-off approach and i think that's why the fans get a little bit crazy because the artists tend to be like hands off whereas if they had an approach where they were sharing more of their values and like Being active and encouraging and setting boundaries, I think that that's a way that you could do lore and world building and then also keep things really respectful and make sure that people are less crazy in a bad way. I hope what I'm saying makes sense. I think you'll see what I mean when I start naming these artists. So, Taylor Swift does this with her Easter eggs and her really strong storytelling between eras. Every era is like a whole new world, and the music connects to the lyrics and who the songs are about, and these like crazy visuals. There's so 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 much going on we still have tiktoks of people trying to figure out clues from her look what you made me do video that was put out in 2017 and now we're in 2022 so that's more than four years old and people are still finding new clues in it some other examples are dance gavin dance they have the story about a robot that goes through so many i think all of their albums that's pretty crazy and then strawberries also started out very early and then they have at least one or two music videos that build. Into a world and create stories between different characters that kind of like wrap this up and the fans are always Talking about this eating it all up their fan base known for being a little crazy in some type of way Next another artist that I've heard is also kind of like this with their world building is Coheed and Cambria I don't know much about them, but I do know they have a very dedicated fan base So I would not be surprised at all if they are also creating lore and world building Definitely seems like they probably are doing this as well Some things about the strategy. It attracts people who are very into their interests and willing to spend money on them. It gives people something to connect and bond over that's not the artist's personal life. Unless the world you're building is supposed to be around your life, kind of like Taylor Swift does a little bit, that's maybe a big plus for artists who want a private life. Second, even though people are connecting on not your private life this can attract obsessive fans at a higher rate than artists who don't use world building I think because these specific fans may feel they have a deeper connection with you than they actually do since what they're connecting on is not actually you as a person which we can make that case for honestly any artist because that's what a parasocial relationship is and that's why what you put out to the public is your brand it's not your real self like people who are fans of you they they don't know you like they they know your art and the projection that they've placed on your art I hope that doesn't sound harsh, but I really think, I don't want to get on a tangent, but yeah. So I think some fans can feel like they have a deeper connection than they really do and might unintentionally be more likely to invade your boundaries and space. Last, fans can talk in depth and have all these theories. They can talk for hours about the story. And I think the key to this is world building. So if you give fans all these world building crumbs, they can talk in depth, have all these theories and talk for hours. Another good example is Harry Potter, right? Like that's why I call it the sci-fi effect because all All of these crazy like sci-fi and comic books and this other type of media that is world building, people get really into it and there's so much room for them to like imagine stuff. People create really, really strong communities over it. Because the world building strategy very much builds hype and is super effective at getting lifelong fans, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I think it's important to know what types of fans and fan bases are interested in this. And any artist who grows and gets really big is more at risk for things like stalkers and having fans violate their boundaries and personal space like i said but i think this strategy lends itself a little more to that and i'm not saying that people who like these things or artists who do this or sci-fi stuff are stalkers or anything i'm just saying that there are a lot of normal people who like this stuff but then there are also the people who can be a little too obsessed can like these things as well. As long as you're accompanying this with sharing your values with your fans and really enforcing healthy versus unhealthy boundaries, then it would probably be really effective. The million dollar question becomes, how can you attract the fans you want and make sure it's an exchange that's good for your mental health and the fans' mental health, overall a healthy relationship that will lead to fans supporting you monetarily and helping you make more money off of your music and and having a long-lasting career, right? First, it's important to be intentional about what you're doing. Like I said, we just want to be aware of the impact and effect that you have on these thousands of people who are looking up to you, some of them putting you on a pedestal. Think about how everything you do publicly is going to have an effect on the type of people that you attract. That's like really overwhelming, right? Whether you're thinking about it intentionally or not, it doesn't change the fact that everything you do contributes to who you attract. So you might as well put in a little bit of effort to make sure that you're attracting the right people. Keep that in mind every time you're interacting with your fans or posting something on social media or doing anything that the world can see. I think the most important thing is to showcase your real values and your branding. That's part of why I feel like I've talked about, this is a Taylor Swift episode, but I'm talking about the home team a lot. They've built a really close fan base of respectful people and they've done a really good job of using their values to do that. That's fully what has sold me on them. Um, I really support how they're trying to change the dynamics within the music industry and make it a less toxic and awful place. They're really advocating for healthier artist and fan relationships. Another example is Waterpark's Austin Knight. Since their 2019 album Fandom, he has used his music to speak up about fan expectations in alternative music. A lot of fans do not want their favorite bands to get popular. People see their bands making music that's a little bit different, maybe a little more radio friendly, and people accuse them of selling out. Now the word gatekeep is really popular, but (laughs) this has been happening a really long time. People like to gatekeep their favorite Fans and alternative culture and people I think fans want this sense of control where it's like oh you're mine or oh this is special like this is this thing that I have and other people don't like this like I'm not like everyone else I don't want to like project things onto other people that I don't know but right it's obvious that this whole like starving artist thing is a little bit praised maybe not praised but really normalized and it's kind of taboo for artists to talk about wanting commercial success and going after it so that's what austin knight has been doing is making some of his music very clearly about wanting commercial success and about unhealthy fan artist relationships i really support what he's doing because it's pretty messed up for fans to actively not want you to be successful and it's a very unfortunate feedback loop that i think alternative music culture has found itself in so by talking about this issue in his music he's educating fans he's going to be attracting people that do want to see their favorite artists get more success He's putting that out, so the people attracted to it are going to help him grow. He's changing the culture of alternative music. I really hope he moves the scene forward. Similar to that, consider showing up a bit vulnerable in your authentic self, and for your brand, pick out parts of yourself and your band that you do want to project publicly. I think the key to creating a brand, the like personal part of you, is literally just think about what parts of your life do you feel comfortable sharing publicly and what do you not, and find the parts of yourself that you can share publicly, and then... Tell that story to the fans so they can know you. You will attract like-minded people who resonate with your story. I think some people are scared to do this because vulnerability is scary or maybe they think that they're not cool enough or whatever fear you have of putting yourself out there in an authentic way. But it's the only way to attract the right people. I have found this to be true as I've grown up and matured or whatever. You have to be your authentic self to attract the right people. And in this case, attract fans who will resonate with what you're doing and who will support you for a long time, right? And even though that's true, like I said, on a personal level, when you're a public persona or music project, that's amplified times 10 or 100 or however big you are. The next item I think is important is to avoid deceptive and unethical marketing practices. I believe you don't need to use these to build a strong fan base, and I think your fans will last so many years longer if you avoid deceptive practices, because they're less likely to grow up, get older, or mature, and realize, oh man, that was kind of sketchy. That kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth when you get older and you realize, oh man, that sucked. So it's all about the long haul and getting those fans to stick with you. And that can be kind of like, you know, selling the worst merch, like merch that is so bad that fans are like oh well i want to support this artist so i feel like i have to buy something but i don't really want any of this make good merch and then your fan will have something that they're happy about and it's gonna sit in their closet and they'll be like oh wow that's a cool thing versus if they get something just to support you that's literally something that they're gonna have in their home that they kind of had a bad relationship with because they don't really want it they just got it to support you so then they have this reminder of you every day but it's not fully a good one also think about what types of behavior you tolerate and what types of behavior you do not allow in your fan spaces. That's why the last couple episodes, I've talked about recognizing your fans and celebrating them when they have appropriate behavior or behavior that you want others to replicate. And that will serve as a mirror or an example to other fans of what's acceptable and what's not. I think it's more important to have this knowledge and to use it to shape the fan base that you want instead of not being aware or intentional and being more likely to end up with fans who are not respectful of your personal space or whatever else and when I'm saying this it's not like there are like some fans who are good and some fans who are bad if you are an advocate for healthy artist fan relationships then you have the potential to be educating a lot of people and a lot of fans even teenagers and really undoing this unhealthy stuff that has been encouraged within the music industry for so long I think that's very rebellious I think it's punk AF I think it is very cool to be pushing back against all that unhealthy stuff started by the music industry just to make more money off of artists. I really hope this has been helpful. If my ideas and approach resonate with you and you're looking for personalized marketing services but don't have the budget for it, I may have good news because I'm still building a marketing portfolio. So email or DM me for help with branding, running ads, digital strategy, social media management, I can do that. Thank you so much for listening to this. I hope you follow and add post notifications to be notified when I post every other week and let me know if there's anything in particular that you want to hear me talk about. Right now I'm planning my next episode to be about The Main and their awesome fan engagement strategies because they're very similar to Taylor Swift in doing so much for their fans, but their model as an independent artist is, I think, a lot more realistic for what other independent artists can do or artists who are currently with a smaller record label and maybe about to fit finish their contract and trying to decide what they want to do when their contract is up. So stick around for that. I will see you next time. Thank you so much.